Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Justin DeClue, who co-hosts The Important Cinema Club with Will Sloan, co-hosts No Such Thing as a Bad Movie with Colin Cunningham and April Litmansky, and co-hosts Loose Cannons with Matthew Kumar. Those are podcasts. They're really good. He's also a filmmaker, having written and directed the short film We're in a Fight and the feature Teddy Bomb. His second feature, Impossible Horror, premiered at the Toronto After Dark Festival last year, screened at Lincoln Center in New York earlier this summer, and now celebrates its arrival on Blu-ray with a release party and theatrical screening this coming Tuesday, October 23rd at 7.30pm at the Royal in Toronto. Justin chose Army of Darkness, the Capra to Sam Raimi's Evil Dead trilogy that finds Bruce Campbell's heroic Ash battling hordes of deadites at a castle somewhere in the 13th century because that's just how his luck played out in the last movie. It's the comic culmination of a series of films that started out pretty seriously, and as a result, it was received with a sort of a shrug by audiences hoping for more straight-up zombie mayhem. In subsequent years, though, it's been accepted and embraced on its own terms. You either love it or you don't. And Justin does. This is someone else's movie. When I knew I was going to come on to this podcast, I was like, okay, I, could, I should pick a movie that like means something very important to me. And my first reaction was actually like, ooh, I should take something that is a little bit out there, uh, like maybe something like Cemetery Man. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Mikhail <laughs> I saw that, that Midnight Madness, thank you. Yeah, I love Cemetery Man. But then I was like, ah, but if I had to pick one movie that I want to talk about and it means like a lot to me, I think Army of Darkness is the one at the top of my list. And the reason for that is it's probably the movie that... When I saw it, for the like, it just captured my imagination in a way that other movies haven't. And I know specifically, like, when I saw it, yeah, I yeah. saw a clip on TV, and it was the stop motion skeletons. And at the time, I had just moved to a small town from Ottawa uh, with my family, uh, my mother specifically, to a French small town, and I didn't really have any friends. And like, I wasn't a movie buff or anything like that. Movies were always something that like almost scared me like when I would go to the theater I would get very nervous and I don't know why almost as if like what if it's not good like okay. what how will my family react and then so you're concerned for their experience not so much yours yeah I think that's what it was like that's what made me nervous because if I didn't like it it wouldn't really bother me did you pick the movie like, no I would never pick the movie where you're in charge and you have to provide everyone with a good time I don't think so because like understand that anxiety yeah because I think that like movies especially going to the theater were something very rare for me as a kid. Okay. Like, I can count on maybe, like, two hands the times that we actually went out and saw a movie. And it's just because my parents, they were separated. So, like, my mom, she worked really late. We were always at a babysitter. And my dad, we'd see him once a week and every two weekends. So going to the movies was something that was, like, very special. So I think that's probably why I felt really nervous. And uh, this actually ties into Army of Darkness, but when I was in elementary school uh, growing up in uh, Ottawa, my friend was the horror movie guy. Okay. Like, he knew everything. He uh, had all, and this is hilarious to say, the Critters movies, the Leprechaun movies. <laughs> he was obsessed with Predator and Aliens. I was not allowed to see these. So there was, like, a fascination as a kid of, like, I would go to his house and get all these action figures, all these VHS tapes up, and I'd be like, oh, my God, like, this looks so cool. So I think that there was, like, an obsession with kind of, like, horror and horror movies at that point, but I couldn't watch them. So there was no, like, 
I, like I wouldn't call myself a movie buff by any stretch of the imagination. So back to like seeing Armor of Darkness on TV was in French. Yeah. I just saw a clip and I recorded the end of it, but I didn't know what the movie was. And that friend who was obsessed with horror movies, he visited me in the small town the next day. And it was the last time I would ever see him until I would be in my 20s. Because, you know, you grow apart. Like, sure. you, you don't hang out anymore. I live well, an hour away. Especially if you're not, yeah, you're kids. Yeah, you, don't have a you can't control your own destination. Yeah, there's no, like, um, transportation or anything like that. And I told him about this movie, and I'm like, I don't know what it is. And he knew instantly. He's like, oh, that's Army of Darkness. I was like, Army of Darkness. Well, I got to see the rest of this. <laughs> And I don't remember how I saw the whole movie, but I did. And it just kind of like blew my brain in a way. I, and I think it was because, you know, I'm a young guy and this idea of a movie showing me like it's directed. Like no no movie had connected with me in that way before. Right. Like, you know, Spielberg, I love Jurassic Park and all this stuff. But like Army of Darkness has a almost like a distancing effect in like you're watching a movie and this is all almost like mythological in the way that it's presented. Yeah. Well, so much of Raimi's early films feel handmade mm-hmm. in that way, right? Even, you know, you're watching process shots, you're watching elaborate special effects that he paid for and, yeah. had, you know, brought to him. But they feel like, he feels like he's right behind you going, look, 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 this is so cool. Exactly. Like, he feels, like, energized about what he's doing. Even Army of Darkness, if you look into it, it was actually, like, a pretty big budget production. Yeah, it was Still, like- what was it, 12 or 13 minutes? Something like, like that, that. yeah. It was, they were, it was big for the Evil Dead film. And they were really, like, banking that it was going to, like, be a huge hit. And then it was slap with an R rating. And they were like, what the heck? And they couldn't do anything to get rid of that. Yeah. Which is funny that it played on TV all the time. Because it's not an R-rated movie. Like, it's PG-13 at the most. Yeah, it's pretty innocuous. I think there's, like, the, the biggest... Ah. <sighs> What's the most like the most there, violent thing in it is the is the stuff at the beginning that there's some blood shoots up in the air and there's actually some nudity oh, uh, right. when there's like a, a shot of like skeletons walking by and they they have a bunch of women and they're pulling on them yeah and I think it it looks like the woman was supposed to just like her hair cover her breasts but it doesn't and you see nipples so I think that may be the led to an, touch exactly because <laughs> the first two are not I mean to just mm-hmm. to put it in in context uh oh wait no before i even do that i want to get back and ask you when was this it was so was this 93 when it actually opened was it later no 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 it was much much later i would probably say i had just moved so i think i was probably 11 or 12 um when i saw it on television which puts you i was born in 87 so so the internet's around it is in the earliest stages yeah in the earlier stages um i'm just fascinated by the idea that even then someone could see something mm-hmm. and have it haunt them and not have a way to clarify it. But I guess if you if you look up skeletons fighting, you'll find Harry Harryhausen. Yeah, but I don't even think that was like my first um, instinct to like go on the internet and be like stop motion skeletons trying to figure out what right. it was. And this is only the course of a day. Yeah, and like because it was the next day and the film was just kind of like, and I remember I saw it and like taped it and it was only the end of the movie because it's the skeleton part and it was my friend told me what it was. I must have... Oh, so the movie was on cable. It was on cable, oh, yeah. okay. I'm just trying to like, you can't, in my head you'd come across a clip or something. No, it was like on, it was that playing and it was in French too. So it wasn't even like right. Bruce Campbell's like voice that I was getting or getting any of the one line it was just this image and I remember exactly the one it was the skeletons crossing the bridge mm-hmm. and it was like something that I had never really seen before and like as I was growing up like horror imagery was always something that like I was really attracted to whether it be in like the Beetlejuice cartoon I didn't see the movie until way later or uh, Simpsons Halloween specials or even Goosebump books which were like an obsession sure but my mom did not 
allow me to like consume these things. What was the objection? Was she afraid of nightmares? Did they give you nightmares? Uh, I mean, I don't really recall having nightmares or being like scared like that. I think it was maybe just like a defense mechanism that she's like, I don't want him consuming these things that I perceive to be bad. Like I very specifically remember uh, them taking me aside and going, you can't watch Beetlejuice the cartoon anymore. And I was like, what? Why can't I watch Beetlejuice? Like, it plays on Saturday morning. And it was just something about the horror imagery, I guess, that just kind of rubbed her the wrong way. But kids love that stuff. I know. I think parents, I mean, I know this, parents grow up and don't understand that children don't see horror imagery the same way adults do. I don't think she grew up that way. I don't think that was like a part of her life and it's something she never really liked. So to see her kids kind of consume it confused her i guess mm. and she was afraid that it would like go down a dark path yeah which is weird because like tv was very regimented for a while and then books were not so like goosebumps i could just like eat those up and they had scary covers too but she would buy them for me she got me costumes so it's like the weird yeah. delineation i just don't understand yeah. but eventually that went away my parents separated and they're like we can't really keep track of what he's doing so he can just watch whatever he wants yeah i my parents divorced when i was 10 mm-hmm. and uh, my brother and i lived with my mom and she was remarkably permissive Hmm. she would express concern but this was 1978 and you know we moved uh within toronto up to a place that was walking distance from a magazine store that carried fangoria yeah it was like all over that and this was back in the days when you know oh i can't remember the name of the actor but um from friday the 13th part two the the severed head in the fridge was the betsy palmer's head in the fridge was on their cover Because of the makeup. And yeah. It's just like, it, it's abstracted to the point where it's like, I'm not frightened by this. I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. Like, yeah. How do you build this? Because when you're like that involved in those kind of things, there's a level of like, well, I'm not taking these for face value. I'm taking them as them being constructed by artists. And that's what I find interesting. Exactly, yeah. And I, I don't know, like my mom didn't understand. My dad, he would just, as long as it wasn't rated R when we'd go out, he'd let me rent stuff. And he probably had the best system ever, which we would go to Roger's video and he'd go, you can rent whatever you want. And then within five minutes, he's like, hurry up, let's go. <laughs> so like a lot of like knee jerk decisions would have to be made. And what kind of bit him in the butt and scared me was that he didn't understand what unrated meant. So I could take anything unrated and right. watch it. So like Dawn of the Dead was a huge one. Uh, the Toxic Avenger, which was unrated. A day I was sick at home and he was taking care of me. And he actually went like, we can stop this if you want. And I was like, yeah, I don't like it very much. Like after the kid's head gets crushed. Right. But that was like, I, I guess you just, I, I got like, acclimatized to that kind of stuff and then I'm like ooh I want to know more I want to know more And but Army of Darkness was like a perfect kind of uh, I don't mixture in the sense that like it was all this horror imagery but I don't know if I was ready to like it be very visceral because yeah. Army of Darkness is in your face but it's not like horrifying it's way more fun exactly yeah, it's, and it's, it's goofy and it's just like in your face yeah. and that's what like really appealed to me which of course disappointed the horror fans oh they hated it i remember reading reviews and being like huh like even uh, the editor bob murowski oscar nominate uh oscar winning editor bob murowski for the hurt locker who edited army of darkness said like "Eh, it wasn't really what i wanted to do like i didn't even really like evil dead 2 he said he's like i was more of an evil dead one person yeah because when you were saying when you were running through the list of unrated films evil dead is the first thing that i thought Mm -hmm. uh which was my because evil dead is terrifying evil dead is is it's the only movie that billed itself as the ultimate experience in grueling horror. <laughs> yeah, that's it's actually right. true. Which is funny because, like, Sam Raimi, I remember reading a story that after the first screening, they got out, and one of the investors was like, 
I thought you were making a horror film, yeah. not a comedy. And he's like, oh, <laughs> like he's like, I thought I was making a horror film as well. I mean, like, I actually watched Army of Darkness with my family, uh, my dad and my stepmom and my brother. And I remember vividly, like, my brother being like, I don't like this. This is scary. Because, like, we had probably watched Army of Darkness uh, at that point together. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just an extension of that. Like, I'd read probably on the internet, like, oh, there's two movies before this. Right. And we went to go rent The Evil Dead, my dad knowing how much I love Army of Darkness. And what we were presented with, like, at that point, there's not even a... Like, oh, well, this is much cheaper. Like, we were, me and my brother were just like taken aback by what we were seeing. Oh, yeah. Which is hilarious about that evolution of like Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and then Army of Darkness. Yeah. I mean, the first one is this grimy, despairing, terrifying, mm-hmm. you know, meat grinder. Yeah. The second one is that, but also delightful. Yeah. Just fun. Yeah. It's and like polished, it's clean, mm-hmm. it's got, you know, it's got color. Like the first one, like it, there's that energy is there, but it's all, all like shot from the hip or like the camera on the right. shoulder. You the feel the three or four people who have been abandoned in the cabin because all the actors have left and they have to do these shots. And Sam Raimi is still being very like particular about the way he wants it, but it's still like grainy, super 16 mil. And yeah, yeah, love it. Um, yeah, and then it gradually evolves into a goofy fantasy medieval mm-hmm. comedy yeah where bruce campbell's ash is now just a full-on idiot yes and it's delightful it really is but i can only imagine what it was like for people coming to, to army first mm-hmm. and then going back and going oh it wasn't always like that I, it's funny because like most people who c- came to army first i feel like they love the other movies as well while people who started with evil dead they think, like, Army of Darkness is, like, oh, that's for children. Yeah, it's like, the red-headed stepchild. Exactly. They're like, ah, you know, why can't they be, like, hardcore and, like, heavy metal like these original Evil Dead films? Well, people who start at Army are like, oh, I like the different ways that they can tell the story. Specifically that Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 are the same movie, yeah. just retold in, like, a different way with yeah. a different spin. With, with you know, slightly more... Uh, character expansion in mm-hmm. that the professor shows up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, but it's, yeah, it's it's amazing because, I, I mean, I interviewed Raimi about it mm-hmm. uh, at the time for Army of Darkness. It was this, I was going to Los Angeles for something in early 90, or late 92, early 93, and Universal was supposed to set us up with a one-on-one. We've still never met. Oh, okay. Uh, the timing didn't work out. Oh, it was Valentine's Day 93. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. I was going to Santa Barbara. For some, for for actually for a trip with with my with an ex now, uh, her parents lived in Santa Barbara, so we were going to stay there for a week. And while we were there, we were going to go to Los Angeles for a couple of days, and that's when I was supposed to. So they showed me the movie. Mm-hmm. They, they screened it up at their at their screening room, the Universal screening room in Victoria Park and Shepherd, which is long <laughs> since gone. Uh, and I was like, I think it was me and two people from Universal who hadn't seen the film before. Mm-hmm. So I had a private screening, effectively. Of <laughs> wow, Universe, which needs a crowd. Yes. Like, it played very... I mean, I enjoyed it, yeah. but I'm like, this is kind of not what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I don't think anybody expected it to be that. Yeah. And it's Raimi really going back to what he's always said as, like, been his favorite thing about movies, which is, like, comedy and slapstick. And specifically, the punish it, punishing the innocent. Yeah. Which he loves! <laughs> and I actually feel that, like, his... Uh, most recent horror films, Drag Me to Hell, I mean, we can talk about that a little bit later, sure. is too far of, like, his punishing the innocent. I think Army of Darkness is the perfect film for Teenage Boy to see because it's this big, grandiose, like, figure, Ash, and he's a joke. Like, yeah. the film treats him as a joke throughout. Even the ending that, like, the studio forced Raimi to uh, 
tack on to it. Yeah, the happy ending. The happy smart. ending is so absurd that it, it can only be read as satire. Like, even as a 12-year-old boy, you're like, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it, you know, now we're recording this the day after the Kavanaugh hearing. Uh, and just for context, I've been thinking a lot about white male privilege. Yes. And Ash is sort of the Detroit version of that guy. Mm -hmm. He is a swaggering, uninformed, unqualified dick. Yes. Who is good at one thing. Mm -hmm. And it's killing zombies. Yes. When it comes to that, he's very good. Well, and actually that's the thing, like Ramey said, it's like, is it be- and I what I'd said was like I'm I'm without any of the privilege mm-hmm. stuff which I hadn't thought about at all at the time but we were saying like he he said the joke of it is that Ash is absolutely useless unless mm-hmm. he's killing zombies and I said is that because he thinks faster than everybody else and Remy said oh he doesn't think at all no and that's it though you see it in Campbell's performance like he is a perfect reactive force in mm-hmm. his movies in all three of them and physically he's interesting like he's always doing stuff with his arms and his shoulders and his neck is funny at one point in Evil Dead Two like when if he's, you- when he's bobbing up and down with the your head like it he is so good at this one thing like if you look at bruce campbell like he's a handsome guy but he's not too handsome to the point that you're like oh he could only play hero he's kind of like a little scuzzy in that yeah, way no he's a joke he's, yeah. he's a visual joke that chin yes and the way he does the thing with his eyebrows mm-hmm. when you put them together in exactly the right way that's just funny and just the way that like his voice sounds when he yeah. has to say these like ridiculous things and in army of darkness when you have him just being punished and punished throughout like it's just funny and um i actually watched the director's cut last night the one that sam raimi prefers and in that one it almost like doesn't work because it kind of takes the it's 16 minutes longer and i've seen it before and there's like a lot of parts that i really like but the theatrical version is 81 minutes and that's like short and it's it's a sprint just right through and you can really get this like guy who he like thinks he's cool but then they undercut him and like a big thing in the director's cut is that there's like a love scene between him and sheila and they rightfully just took that out yeah. because they were like what no like he he should be a buffoon and to be treated that way and while he may get a happy ending at the end it is so over the top that like you this all feels like the fantasy that he would have of yeah. what would happen yeah because yeah, he shows up in the 13th century and immediately decides he's going to be in charge yes because <laughs> uh, he has a gun yeah which which is again privilege yes uh, which is the the assumption that oh I'm from the future my uh, you know his car has a high school science book which puts him light years ahead of the wizards <laughs> that's right which is funny I mean the wizards and blacksmiths who can create a mechanical hand for him yeah. that he can use it's far superior to anything that he ever came up with like, yeah okay he strapped a chainsaw to it. Mm. Also good, also helpful. Sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's probably more practical ways he could do stuff, but it does look cooler if he does it that way. Um, And I think that, like, the Three Stooges were always something that were part of my life, and my dad really liked them. But I think that, like, they reach reach fruition watching Army of Darkness, where, like, this kind of physical slapstick humor in the horror setting that I like so much. Yeah. Like that, like, I'm like, ooh, I like that. Like, I had no idea what Splatstick was. I hadn't seen any, like, uh, George Romero, like, Dawn of the Dead. I probably had seen Night of the Living Dead at that point, but it hadn't clicked with me. That happened when I saw Dawn of the Dead. And, like, violence as a way of humor was something that I only associated with cartoons. Like, live action, the way that Army of Darkness does it, was something that was completely foreign to me. Well, yeah, I mean, like, no one had really, uh, other than, I mean, you know, maybe Abbott and Costello meet mm-hmm. Frankenstein, where the monsters are value. Yeah. Like, the value is horror for them, but the characters aren't taking them seriously. That's right. Um, yeah, it's 
bugs and the monsters in Looney Tunes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like the, as far as like monsters being treated seriously in a comedic way, one of the movies I'd seen when I was a kid was The Monster Squad. I was just about to say because that was in the ninety nine cent family section, so it was something <laughs> I was allowed to rent. And I get they must have not watched it with me because like the Wolfman explodes in that movie it's, and it's yeah. gross. It's pretty serious about what it's doing. <laughs> and that was like almost a little too serious for me. But it was Army of Darkness that finally clicked. Like oh horror. Or at least the iconography of horror, because Armor of Darkness is not a horror film, um, it can be fun. Yeah. And there's something that I gain value from when it, they're put together. Yeah. And it is, I mean, all all horror films have comic, well, almost all of them have mm-hmm. comic relief as an element because you need that to break them. Uh, with the exception of Evil Dead and maybe mm-hmm. Halloween. And Night of the Living Dead doesn't have any laughs in it. No. But they're, like, those are films that are designed that way. Yeah. Evil Dead, though, like, it's so unrelenting that, like, laughter is kind of like an escape valve. Yeah. And it like, just doesn't want you to have one. Yeah. Like, you're watching and you're like, oh, my God, like, you've been chopped up. And, like, people, I feel like when they see it for the first time, they tend to, tr- like, almost try to laugh at the movie because, like, the ropey performances... Or, like, uh, Scott being like, oh, my God, when he's on the couch and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's only as it, like, goes on and on and, like, Bruce Campbell's just freaking out. There's, like, that virtuoso sequence where he's, like, essentially just acting by himself. And, like, the camera is doing all these crazy things, like, going across the beams and it's making loud, like, sound effects when it does it. Like, that's when you're like, whoa. Like, this is something different than I've seen before. Yeah. No, and and that's the beauty of what Raimi does in all three films is mm-hmm. he is all in to the given concept. Yes. Whichever one it is, it's going to be the best version of it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be there with him until he's done. Yes. Which, which I really like. I, I like the idea that the first one gives you no release. The second one traps you in a funhouse ride, basically. Yes. Like you're, if you, you can get up and leave, but you know yeah. you're going to miss stuff, so you just don't want to. Yeah. And then the third one is this well, you know, there's a scene with some pipers in it because that's what you would make in this movie. And yeah, shut up! I'm doing, I'm doing it. Armor of Darkness honestly feels like out of all the movies Raimi has made that he could just do all the stuff that he loved as a kid. So whether it be like Three Stooges stuff, Ray Harryhausen skeletons, yeah, yeah. like the Little People stuff, like oh, that's right, I forgot about that. That's stuff that like like a twelve year old like gets this idea and he's like, wouldn't it be cool if you did this? And I mean, like, if you see Raimi in behind-the-scenes stuff, he is the excited kid who's, like, doing voices and, like, picking up the stuff and, like, slapping people uh, with it. I mean, he loves to talk about how uh, all the Evil Dead movies have, like, a scene where, like, Bruce Campbell's running or in a car and there's branches slapping him on the face and Raimi would take great joy in being the person who could hold it and slap him. I think it's... It's really telling to me somehow that Raimi always makes a point. I don't know if it, if he's doing it himself these days, but mm-hmm. even now when they're talking about his shoots, he always comes to, to set in a suit and tie. Yes. Because that's what a grown-up would do. Mm-hmm. But he's not really a grown-up, and I no. like that about him. It's I, a, it's I admire a, it. It's almost as if he wants to like present this veneer of like, oh, I'm serious about what I'm right. doing. And then he picks up something and like slaps Bruce Campbell in the face. Yeah, he's he like, just, hey, about he, it. He can't not. Yeah. And, and Army is the perfect expression of that. Mm-hmm. given his first studio well no Darkman was a studio picture right? Darkman was a studio picture yeah up. but given like carte blanche having proved himself with Darkman which was like a number one box office hit yep. when it came out for a week yep yes. uh, and I still love the fact that you know future Oscar nominee Liam Neeson and future Oscar winner Francis <laughs> yes that's right just point to it and go this is the most absurdly overqualified of everything and it's still good like it works and yep. it has that same handmade thing with mm-hmm. the scene in the 
nobody else would have had a shot of their hero dangling from a helicopter with his little feet running on the top of a truck. Oh, that's so good. But I it's mean, so humanizing. Like, that's how he sees these things. I, I, I can understand, though, that, like, even Sam Raimi, I think pretty much after Army of Darkness, he decided, like, well, I want to be taken seriously. Like, we talked about that, like, showing up in a suit thing. Mm-hmm. He had that, like run of movies some of them very good that were conscious efforts of him going like i don't want you know a simple plan to feel like a sam raimi movie or for the love of the game oh i forgot about that it's i am not a fan and like the gift his as well the gift was his as well which you always get confused with the watcher where you're like wait uh is that the gift or is that the there's the one where keanu reeves is the bad guy Mm -hmm. and there's the one where keanu reeves is the incidental bad guy. (laughs) that's right yeah um oh no saw them all and after that it feels like he just went like ah screw it and he made the quick and the dead which is like the sam raimi as sam raimi that you could ever get and, like, I feel like that's the mode that he's the most comfortable in. And it's kind of a bummer. Like, I don't know if he still, I don't want to say has it in him, but maybe he just looks at it and he's like, I've done everything that I want to do. Like, I made three Spider-Man movies, one of them seemingly against my will. Yeah. And um, <laughs> He does kind of feel like a hostage to his own vision on the third one. Yeah, he did. If you hear him talk about the first one, a lot of those Sam Raimi flourishes are stuff that the producers were like, oh, you should do this. Yeah. Because he was trying to avoid it. And it's perfectly suited. And that's why the second one works as well as it mm-hmm. does, because it is about people in yeah. the middle of this giant cartoon universe that he's built and, mm-hmm. and that's you know like that's army of darkness and uh, mm-hmm. maybe not so much quick and the dead which is the cartoon universe sort of takes over yeah it's like quick and the dead is a successful version of crime wave his second film yeah which i really like crime wave i wouldn't recommend it and i always say <laughs> it's not funny and like i mean sam Raimi and bruce campbell it has like, its moments it's so like visually like in your face but it was taken away from them. It was re-edited. Like, on set, it didn't really work. And, like, the lead uh, actor or someone that was put upon them, as opposed to Bruce Campbell, who they wanted. Right. So you can feel all of these things kind of, like, fighting against each other. But at the same time, like, one of the bad guys is voiced by Sam Raimi because the actor, they had such a, a, a difficult time that, like, he dubbed his voice. So there's little touches here and there, but that's when, like, the cartoon universe is completely taking over. And that, like, there's less... Like, I can enjoy it, but it's less engaging, I yeah. feel. You don't feel his hands on the wheel the same way. Mm-hmm. I, I remember at the time when they finally released the video, I, re- yeah. I think I even reviewed it at the time because mm-hmm. I was writing for a home video mag at the time the star was putting out. And it's just like, oh, this is this is Miller's Crossing, except directed by a maniac. Like, it's it's <laughs> yeah. the idea of, you can see the intersection with him and the Coens there. And in the Hudsucker proxy, the crime wave and Hudsucker are the ones that come closest to the two sensibilities. Sam Raimi shot second unit on the Hudsucker proxy. Yeah, yeah and so. you can totally mm-hmm. feel it. And you can also feel the, in those moments, it's like, oh yeah, of course they're friends. Like, yeah, yeah they get along. They have the same sen- uh, sensibilities, but while the Coens will do two to three Sam Raimi shots in a movie, Sam Raimi will be like, let's do 150. Yeah. So, like, that's the, di- and the difference between both of them, and that's why, like, the Coen brothers can be taken more seriously, while Sam Raimi is like, nah, I just want to entertain, like, I just want to have fun, yeah. and that's, it's distancing to some people, because this kind of in-your-face, like, excessiveness, they just, like, take a step back and go, like, well, I can't engage with this, right? because, like, the auteur is too present, or it's too goofy, and because it's goofy, I can't take it seriously. Right. Like, there's, like, weird layers there that, th- thankfully, like, he was able to, you know, get successes like Dark Man or Spider-Man, which is, I mean, he says he loved the character, and it's probably because it's the perfect Sam Raimi character, this put-upon loser mm. who can, still does the right thing at the end of the day. Yeah. 
Uh, a secretly wonderful nebbish. Yeah, exactly. Like that's kind of his deal. Yeah, and I mean, like, and, you know, Ash in Army of Darkness is that, but he is just a loser. Yeah. Like, No, Ash sees himself as Peter Parker, but he's really Flash Thompson. Yeah, exactly. He is Flash. A hundred percent is Flash. He's not even Flash Thompson. Like, he's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's... he's, he's the, that's right. He's Billy Zane in Back to the Future. He's the other guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Best possible. Billy. But Go he's good at this him. one thing yeah. that he'll do, and the movies will always have him... Like succeed at the end because like he has to do this because this is the one thing he's good at. Yeah. But everyone around him will die in the process, yeah. and only he will be left standing. Well, and it's also you know like the first two Evil Dead's punish Ash for his success, right? Oh, he gets, constantly he gets eaten at the end, technically, yes. and then it turns out not to be. Mm-hmm. And then in the second one, it's like ah, you know what? We're just gonna throw you back to the 13th century, so you can't bother us anymore. <laughs> yeah, and of course it's a mistake, mm-hmm. demon wise. But but um, there was a I think it might have even been Fangoria. There was an interview with Raimi once where he said that like his original vision for Evil Dead is that humanity is tested every hundred or every thousand years mm-hmm. and Ash is our guy. <laughs> and, like that's what it means. Like yeah. it's, it's going to suck to have this guy be your champion mm-hmm. Cause, just because he was there in the room and like and nobody else survived. And it's the worst thing because he's very good at what he does but he can't save the people around him. Yeah. And like that says so much about like <laughs> Raimi's view on humanity and like uh, like how things go not forward but how he just views us and like ah like and it's funny because like misery in this context is like oh my god i just can't believe that like i'm laughing at this stuff like three stooges again against someone in life or death situations yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no if you step back and you appreciate what's going on mm-hmm. it's actually incredibly tragic yes except it's not because it's so much fun yeah that's the thing is that it's like that mixture of both things which is like really fun and then it's like kind of sad like everyone that ash knows has died mostly because of kind of stuff that he's done or didn't do or he's had to kill them yes because they've become evil exactly he's killed a version of them yes uh that pleaded for its life (laughs) and if he thinks back on it he's like oh but wait if i just waited an army of darkness then, like, they can be magically healed by the power of love. Yeah. Like, meh. Doesn't matter. I mean, Raimi is the first person to say, like, ah, rules don't matter. Because, like, the rules of Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness, it's just whatever is fun. Like, skeleton hands can come popping out of every side of the screen to punch Ash in the face. Because that's what the funniest thing that could happen. Yeah. I mean, he gets poked in the eyes. For, like, a proper Three Stooges wink, <laughs> you can hear it. Yeah. Boink, boink. Yeah. And he just it, loves it so much. Ah, uh, he just loves that. He just... I mean, I don't want to say he loves suffering because that sounds like a crazy person, but he loves suffering. He loves making his friends suffer. Yes, he I mean, does, like, especially Bruce Campbell. Well, that's it, right? Like, there's there's this unspoken understanding, certainly by the time we get to Army, that he can take it. Mm-hmm. That, like, that Ash can take it, what's, but mostly that Bruce Campbell is willing to do this to himself. What's interesting about that is that during Drag Me to Hell, uh, there's a new Blu-ray that came out uh, mm-hmm. by yeah. Screen Factory, and Alison Lohman... I believe that's her name, uh, is interviewed on the disc. And she says it was a miserable experience because she was treated like essentially Bruce Campbell would be. Right. And like watching Drag Me to Hell, like there is a weird kind of like power dynamic about what's going on where when Bruce Campbell, when he's suffering, it's funny. Alison Lohman's suffering in Drag Me to Hell, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people love this movie, it's not Fun? No, she's giving a real performance. Yeah, and like I think she's a, she's a person. Mm. Ash is never a person. He's always a cartoon. And I think there's like a tonal inconsistency in that, where like 
drag me to hell and the way it ends, I'm like, ugh, like, that's not fun. While, like, the way that uh, Evil Dead 2 or even Evil Dead ends, I'm like, <laughs> like, that's fun. Like, yeah. it's, it's a weird kind of thing. And I wonder if, like, Raimi's like, ah, it's not the same anymore because I'm not making these with my friends. It's, I'm, I'm almost sure that that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, yeah, Drag Me to Hell is this really fascinating conflict between what he wants to do and what the world expects from horror mm-hmm. now. Yeah, uh, especially because he was talking at the time about how it comments on the, you know, it was about the foreclosure crisis and the mortgage mm-hmm. meltdown and, and it's all about economic anxiety, mm-hmm. which is a legitimate thing in Drag Me to Hell, not just an excuse for racism, although yes. there is some of that. <laughs> yes. Um, but the, the gypsy woman is such a caricature mm-hmm. and Alison Lohman, as, as presented in the film, her character is a reasonable person, mm-hmm. right? Like she makes a selfish choice. She does, yeah. But the movie makes it okay for her, which mm-hmm. is what the Evil Dead films do. Yeah. But then as she is punished for this choice, the enthusiasm for it that the Evil Dead movies have and that we get to share in isn't there. Yeah. And I think that's like the big issue that I have with it. it, it it's like just the world that Sam Raimi is working through and Drag Me to Hell. Like, I love the idea that he went back and he's like, I'm just going to make a spookablast kind of movie, like yeah. go back to the... And it just was never there. I own it on Blu-ray. Like, okay. I bought it. I'm it's like... there. I got it. I, I was just like, you know, maybe one day I'll come to terms with it. But, like, watching that interview with Alison Lohman being like, oh, like, I felt like... She did, She doesn't say abuse. She uses, like, another word, but it essentially gets down to that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, you can see that on screen. And it's not, like, fun in that way yeah. anymore. And it's the Tales from the Crypt thing. Where yes. at half an hour, you can get someone... Who you know? You can get a story of an asshole who's given a comeuppance, but at ninety minutes, it's tough. And she's not an asshole. She's right? not an asshole enough. Yeah, she's she's too human. She's mm-hmm. too real. Yes. Uh, and the beauty of the Evil Dead movies is that although in the first film the violence feels real, mm-hmm. that's the only thing that feels real. Like the the world itself is just. I mean, it's a nightmare, mm-hmm. but it's a nightmare that is stylized just enough to remove us from, oh my God, these poor people. Well, I mean, like, the the actors in the Evil Dead movie, like, they're jerks, like, <laughs> throughout. Like, there's a reason that um, Evil Dead the musical, there's, like, a, a big comedy bit where one of the characters calls a, uh, one of the women, like, just a stupid bitch because, like, it's so like the kind of characters that are in the evil dead like right. they would say that kind of stuff which is like oh why did you say that right. but the musical knows it yes that's what i mean the yeah. musical knows it and that's why it highlights it and but the in the movie sam raimi doesn't quite seem to know how jerky his characters are just because he's overwhelmed by everything else that's going on around it yeah so that when ash is finally alone in the movie that's when it like pops where you feel like just Raimi and Bruce Campbell just head to head just essentially giving each other noogies yeah but not in a mean bullying way in a way that they're like ah, <laughs> like they're just having fun yeah it's... I, I was gonna say that like sure. on the Evil Dead though like the Josh Becker which was part of that friend group he felt like he was outside of it when they were making that movie like, he would go on to be a filmmaker himself. He made Thou Shall Not Kill, which Sam Raimi stars in. That's right. But you get that idea of, like, if you're not within that group, and when you're watching the movie, you feel within that group. There is that, like, distancing effect, which I can feel, like, people who don't like the Evil Dead films, they maybe feel that way, where they're like, ah, if you did this, or it would look more polished, it'd be more scary, when it's really just these friends being like, ah, yeah, we're white guys, and we're just pushing each other in the bushes, like, just having fun, not a worry in the world. Yeah, and it somehow... Um, it's I you know everybody who's ever dreamed of making a movie with their friends yes right like it's that's what the did you ever see the Christopher Guest movie The Big Picture 
a long time ago. Yeah. And I, I, I vividly remember each short film that's presented in that film. Because right. the film is like Kevin Bacon's a short filmmaker and he, it starts with him like... At the, the Student Film Festival. Film Festival. Yeah. And like Christopher Getz just highlights perfectly like each kind of like the pretentious film the in your face like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you have like the Contra slash Hitchcock zoom where it's, the, the camera's pulling back and zooming in and the yep. person is pointing yeah it, like that feeling of like yeah. it romanticizes the experience of making a movie with your friends while ignoring the fact that no one will like it because there's no one to comment on the outside and say you know you're only making this for you and your friends mm-hmm. but I think The Evil Dead is one of maybe a handful if that of of those movies that works Mm -hmm. if you get onto its vibe and i can totally understand the response of people who say oh it doesn't it doesn't do it for me i get that oh i I completely agree as well yeah but it's the movie for the people who spent you know six hours in the diner after dawn of the dead yes (laughs) being like oh if we did this or that and i mean like armor of dark is one of the big reasons that i came to it is the cinematic style, like basically like in broad strokes, just writing with the camera. Yeah. Like I think the camera at that point was not something that I was conscious of before I like sat down and watched Armor of Darkness all in one go. Just because, you know, Spielberg, he's doing crazy stuff like in Jurassic Park or E.T., but it's so integrated in what's going on. I'm never like, ah, like this shot. And yeah. Army of Darkness is like, look at this shot. Isn't it crazy? And like when I started making movies with my friends, like I don't, have any actors so by saying something with the camera that's how you can let the audience know like look at this crazy stuff that i'm doing like if i have no money i have no time i have no production value the camera and the way that you tell the story essentially like raising your voice and like waving your arms yeah that's what hopefully will be interesting enough for the people that are watching it yeah and it is the kind of movie army of darkness specifically mm-hmm. where he has a machine behind him like, yes he is being indulged because he's made two of these already And there's trust that he can deliver the thing that they want. And he delivered something which was not the thing that they wanted. No. But it looked like it for a little while. It's weird because, like, I don't know what Dino De Laurentiis wanted if they're spending that much money. They obviously wanted a PG-13 movie. Yeah. The only thing Dino De Laurentiis ever wanted was return on investment. (laughs) That's right. And he didn't get it with this. No, he didn't. No, which is perversely fascinating to me because I do like the movie. I'm not trying to integrate it. But, you know, you give that money... You give... 12 or 13 million dollars or whatever it mm-hmm. was to the guy who made these three films that you can look at on the shelf behind you or four if you can't crime wave mm-hmm. and I just like he's going to use that money to do the thing he wants to do yeah. at a bigger scale I mean like Sam Raimi said that when he started Dark Man he wanted to make like a real movie and like not do what he did in the Evil Dead and Crime Wave and he's like just couldn't help himself I know. He comes and back to it and it's like Army of Darkness is the one that essentially like just took the wind out of his sails for a while because you do get stuff like a simple plan, which is good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, wow, you can do this. But we know you're not having as much fun yeah. as you want to. I mean, I remember seeing it theatrically and going, and I'd read the book. Mm-hmm. And I actually ran into Ben Stiller. I'm just going to drop names. Because <laughs> right. Stiller was going to direct it. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I that would have been more stylized than what Raimi would have done. Well, so. apparently not. That's oh, the fascinating really? thing. Yeah. I met hmm. him in passing in a hotel in 94. Uh, I was in New York for the... Oh, what was the junket? Oh, for the Nobody's Fool junket. The Paul Newman film, Robert Benton movie. Really good. Oh, mm-hmm. um, And Crooklyn was junketing there as well. And then for whatever reason, Stiller was in the lobby of this <laughs> this hotel in Midtown, the Regal Royale, near Times Square, uh, where they were holding all of this stuff. And I just, I cornered him because I knew who he was and I'd seen the Ben Stiller show. Mm-hmm. And I knew he had the rights to the book, which I'd read. And I'm like, what are you going to do? Because Nicolas Cage was going to star in it. 
Huh. And he said, it's going to be really, really grim. That's all he said. Okay. And then, you know, I, I said, okay, cool. And we, yeah, know, yeah. This weird kid in his 20s bothering the movie star. So, um, so I just, that was the only thing we had said. And mm-hmm. then the Raimi movie came out. I was like, well, yeah, it's grim. Yeah. Okay. It's also not a Sam Raimi movie, really. No. And that makes me sad. Yeah. Like, I, I'd be curious to know what, like, if Army of Dragons had been a hit. And then Sam Raimi... Yeah, where does the career go from there? Like, let's say even he gets a simple plan. Like, what would that version of a simple plan look like? Probably just, like, uh, an over-caffeinated blood simple. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I have a a very good idea of what it would look like. They would have kept the original ending, which is not in the book. Oh, I don't even know what the original ending is. Oh, everybody gets punished. Oh, really? Just punished terribly. There's, like, (laughs) there's a dead child. He Mm -hmm. has to kill people in a convenience store. Yeah. I think they kind of write around it in the movie. Yeah. But... It's just like somebody spends one bill and he has to go track it down and kill three people who have it. It's just... Uh, that feels like something that would have attracted Sam Raimi yeah. to the movie yeah, to do I, that kind of stuff. I was like... Because when he got the job, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, he'll go there. He'll do yeah. it. And yeah, I think, weirdly enough, I think Stiller would have gone there. I think Stiller, Stiller would have gone there. Nicholas Cage apologetically murder people. Yeah, especially... You know, you can take that film different ways, and with Raimi, the over-the-topness was what he was known for, so he probably didn't want to go that yeah, far. Yeah, he was fighting against his best instincts. While Ben Stiller is like, oh, like, I want to be taken seriously, yeah. so I will go that over-the-top and grim, but, yeah. like, in a different way than yeah, Sam yeah, Raimi yeah. would. He would have more to prove than... Mm-hmm. Like, Raimi has something to prove with a simple plan that isn't the thing we want him to prove. Yes. And, like, it... I mean, it's a bummer that Army of Darkness didn't make a lot of money when it came out, but it's obvious that there's a rabid fan base for sure. it. Every DVD like, is it released, the most released movie. I feel like it's it is. That or Halloween, right? When uh, I first got a DVD player, the first uh, two DVDs I owned were Army of Darkness and probably its first DVD incarnation, mm. which it had the like Frazetta-ish cover the of Ash with yeah, his, yeah, his yeah. Uh, shirt ripped ridiculous open. Ridiculous muscles. It's so hilarious. I mean, it's not as ridiculous as if you've seen the international poster which is like ash with his head back and even more muscled than he is on the american yeah, the triumphant thing. boomstick yeah and um i got evil dead on one of those uh, anchor bay release i guess it was a collector's it there were like clear like clear cases oh, that the broke sliding in case instantly yeah, like like because the hinges awful. broke off yeah yeah i had that too and um oh no it wasn't a slider it was the it was the clear clear case that opened up yes what you see now in like dollar stores when it's like um public domain movies trying to sell it to you look it looks different and uh i still have one or two of them somewhere after that like there was a million versions of army of dark like they couldn't get enough and i mean i can understand that there's the hunger there because like oh the director's cut uh there's an international version. On the Blu-ray, there's all those and a TV version. Yep, yep. Like, <laughs> Well, because Universal was doing that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like the Brazil TV version is the, the best example. Right. But there's a different kind of a thing. There's a bunch of stuff they sold into syndication. I think Army of Darkness might have been the last one because mm-hmm. that was starting to die out in the early 90s. But Universal's TV department had quite the, uh, the operation going where they were just running around disgracing and <laughs> just padding them out with deleted scenes yeah. as well to like make them longer i wonder if i watched the tv version i'd be like yeah because an 81 uh, movie wouldn't fit a two-hour slot no they'd have to add another i think the average was 93 or 97 yeah so they would probably have to add in a bunch of deleted scenes yeah. that would i'm curious to know what it is man i'm gonna have to run home and watch that tv version nah i think i'm good uh armor darkness again is a movie though that i was talking with a friend last night and he's like i've seen it so many times that I can't watch it anymore. Right. Because I see, and it's it's curious to me that like 
the reaction that I had right on seeing it without any cultural baggage around it, a lot of people also had that reaction. So I think it's also because it is in such broad strokes and the iconography is like right there. It's like the beginner's version of these things. Like, oh yeah, I like this line that he says. I'm going to repeat it to my friends because like it's so in your face. Again, the uh, the expression I've been using so much right now that like it's the perfect entry point. It's like, like really good pop music. Yeah, but it's got quips you can use out of context. Exactly. It's got a swagger to it. Mm-hmm. It's very, very silly. Yes. And it's welcoming in a way that a lot of other stuff at the time wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, as a gateway to horror, it's a, just a really bad one because it's not a horror movie. I think it's a pretty good one because... It's a gateway it, to Remy. Yeah, but especially like horror, depending on how you approach it. Like everybody like does it differently like some people are like well i want it to be hardcore Hmm. and i want to be like serious and other people are like well i like both like i like to laugh and i like the idea of monsters and the fantastical essentially what existed in the 80s and like then you give me your exorcists and all the other stuff that is supposed to be taken seriously yeah i'm much more of a just because i guess of how old i am Mm -hmm. i came up like i was 10 when halloween opened yeah slasher wave started but i'm way more of a I'm a, I'm a, how can I even put this without sounding incredibly pretentious? <laughs> American Werewolf in London. Yes. The Thing. Mm-hmm. Stuff with monsters, stuff with makeup, but stuff that was self-aware. Yes. Uh, but not to the point of Scream where, which I, I mean, I like Scream. Which is meta. But it's meta. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's different. Like, the Thing has moments where the actors can play. and, and Like, whoa, like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. But it also has, you've got to be fucking kidding. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Where, you can, where you can actually take a moment and laugh at how obscene all of this stuff is. Mm-hmm. Or Werewolf or Halloween. Mm-hmm. Like, film, or not Halloween, sorry. The Howling. Yeah, the howling, the, the which blends. is almost closer to Sam Raimi, yeah, like yeah. The, the 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 werewolf like tapping her on the shoulder and stuff like that. Yeah, like, it's goofy, but it's also scary, mm-hmm. and and it respects both. Yeah, um, and then you real and then like I'm a I'm a Hellraiser originalist. <laughs> like, only the first one, that, and that was sort of this fundamental moment for me. Like I've always loved the Romero zombie movies and the um, and the monsters, but you know Hellraiser is that that wonderful moment of the intersection of awful things outside of our world mm-hmm. happening to awful people. Yeah. And the Evil Dead movies kind of pick that up too. Here. Yeah. I, I mean, like speaking of violence in the Evil Dead movies, uh, I mean, Bruce Campbell, I believe it's in his biography, talks about cu- cutting together a like TV version of Evil Dead 2 and that it's way more horrifying when you put it on someone's face reacting to something that oh, you I can't can see. That. Yeah. And you just hear the noise and stuff like that because a human brain is going to be like, oh my God, like what could be happening off frame, especially right. if you hold on it for that long. Yeah, and you're empathizing with pain. Too. Exactly. And when you just show it, you're like, okay. And because us as human beings, we've never had an arm chopped off or like heads lopped off, we can't associate that with any kind of real like hurtful emotion sure. so that's why it turns into like <laughs> and like laughter and stuff like that because yeah. it is so over the top yeah it's something that no other series really connects to in the same way mm-hmm. the just the glee of dismemberment yeah especially like that it did start serious and that it goes so goofy i mean like a lot of people have tried to pick up the torch and do that kind of sam raimi-ish thing and it's interesting to see, like, how it doesn't work or how people don't understand, like, what they like about these things. Like, a lot of people will take the iconography of Ash and, like, this cool stuff yeah. and try to treat it as it being cool. And you're like, well, it doesn't work because, like, it's a joke. And yeah. especially if you don't marry it to, like, crazy um, camera choreography that just underline that this is a cartoon. Yeah. 
then you have an issue. Well, and almost no one else can do Bruce Campbell. Nobody That's the other thing, right? Like there, there are a couple of people who, you know, I'm like Treat Williams and Deep Rising. Ooh, love Treat Williams and Deep Rising. Right. Yeah, that's the kind of performance where it's not the same at all, mm-hmm. but it is the similar kind of attitude that yeah. comes through. Where it's like I am complicit in this movie's joke. Mm-hmm. I am part of it. I know, and we're still going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Nobody does that in the context of horror anymore, or <laughs> ever did. I don't think like Campbell could do it. Yeah, but, as far as horror movies go, like people I'm, who try fail. I mean, uh, speaking of Stephen Summers, uh, Hugh Jackman and Van Helsing, yeah. like that is not good. No. And that's a movie that you're like, how is this not good? And it makes you realize like how like much of a... Oh, a, how valuable Fraser is to it. Yeah, to especially yeah. in The Mummy. I was going to say Bruce Campbell, but like Brendan Fraser is doing Bruce Campbell in The is. Mummy. Yeah. Just like... It's a uh, little more sensitive. The Alex um, <laughs> Kurtzman movie, The Mummy... Basically, Tom Cruise is playing a Bruce Campbell type. Right. But you can't take it seriously because he's handsome. Yeah. And he just seems like a jerk in a way that Bruce Campbell, he's a jerk, but he's a lovable jerk. Tom Cruise in the the Mummy remake is just like, I don't like that. Well, it's, and that's like, that is such a weird role for him to play anyway, Cruise. Yes. Because he's he's trying to put his usual gravitas and determination into a monster movie. Mm -hmm. And you can feel like the movie treats him like an antibody and rejects it. (laughs) Yes. As much as I dislike that film, and I frankly hate it. Do you own uh, it on Blu-ray? I have it. I never bought it. They sent it to me. Really? It supposedly has two hours of making of features. Oh, God. And I'm like, I love that stuff. If it's like a really bad movie and there's two hours of it... I'm like, I'm going to eat that up. Yeah, you give me that Total Recall remake. And you want to borrow it. It's oh, yeah. And try to justify, like, oh. why you made the movie that you made. Yeah. That is a movie that I think, like, there was talk of Raimi taking over the horror project for <sighs> years and years. Like, was he trying so... to make Dr. Jekyll as a, as a standalone? I don't know. I mean, like, Raimi always had, like, weird relationships with properties that he wanted to remake because, like, he wanted to make The Shadow... And they just wouldn't give it to him. And that's like a perfect marriage yeah, of his sensibilities. Work. And so he ended up making Darkman. That's why, like, the face is changing and stuff like that. Like, kind of the mad scientist, milieu. And I don't know what he would do with, like, Universal Monsters. I feel Sam Raimi wouldn't treat them with much respect. And I don't think people yeah. would like that. I don't think there's anywhere to go with the Universal Monsters at this point. I mean, they keep trying. And Give it to Blumhouse. Give them, um, like, $2 million films. And you make, like, a Dracula film and a Frankenstein movie. Don't make them action films. Yeah, that's and, the problem, right? Like, even even the... Um, uh, it wasn't Summers. Who was it? Joe Johnston did The Wolfman. Yeah. And it's it, terrible. But that was supposedly a, like, horrifying experience for everyone involved. Oh, like, you can totally tell. It caused... Um, Emily Blunt won't even talk about it. It caused uh, Rick Baker to pretty much retire from special effects afterwards. Okay. Because uh, it was Mark Romanek was supposed to direct The Wolfman. Yeah. And yep. then Joe Johnston... The utility player of like the Hollywood scene just came in and he's like, "I'll, I'll finish it." Yeah. Uh, for it's the- just, but the, I think what these movies keep saying and what the Mummy weirdly proved the new Mummy in, mm-hmm. its, in its way is that you can't tell them in period and no. you can't tell them in the present day. Like these monsters don't have a purpose anymore because yeah. we've moved beyond them. Like now you get the best creature from the Black Lagoon movie in 50 years and it's Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not about the creature. It's yeah. about the people. I still feel like they could do it, but I mean, we're way off topic now. But like... Yeah, Raimi could do Frankenstein. That's Ra- the one that I keep thinking about. Starring Bruce Campbell? <laughs> well, he's so fascinated. As the monster. Yeah, as the monster. He's so fascinated with pieces, right? Like, yes. he could maybe come up with a way, but at the same time, I want to see him just 
follow his bliss at this point? Yeah. Like, don't I, make an Oz movie anymore. I, I don't know what that Oz thing was. I'm sure he had like a was, third house he had to pay off or yeah, something like no, that. like that's somebody getting insurance. Yes. Uh, not not Raimi. That's Disney going, well, who can we give it to who can handle a project of this size? Oh, he made Spider-Man. Let's get him. And if you hear Raimi talk about it, there were some elements that like really interested him of like sure. doing practical stuff. But then when you hear him talk about it, he sounds like Robert Zemeckis talking about it where like, oh no, you're not passionate about this thing. You just want to do this one or two little tricks in the movie. Yeah, the technical challenges. The technical challenges. While it doesn't really interest you to actually tell the story and to get energized. Yeah. And like, I mean, I don't know where Sam Raimi has to go after this, but I mean, maybe he'll make little movies. He produced a movie for his wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I think that was the last thing that he did major. He directed the Evil Dead TV show pilot. Yeah, he's, he's involved with it, but not that close. Yeah. It's mostly Tappert's show, as I understand. Uh, yeah, it's Tappert's show. And now it's done. It's done so yeah. <laughs> that's it for that. Uh, maybe he'll retire. Who knows? Like, he gave us a lot of entertainment. And obviously, like, even you look at something at like Army of Darkness and you listen to everybody that was involved talk about it and how tiring it was to do just to put together this, like, confectionery that's just supposed to be fun yeah. like uh, I saw Bill Pope when they did the right stuff screenings at the Bloor Cinema and Edgar Wright was showing movies they did a screening of Army of Darkness and Bill Pope came and he said like ah yeah this is how the movie should be shown all battered and crummy looking <laughs> and filled with splices like that's the way that like Sam Raimi would have loved it and you almost want to feel like ah he's joking but at the same time it's like oh this was obviously such a punishing experience on everyone involved and I just don't know if you know, Raimi can do that anymore. Like, the the system is not built anymore for them to, like, do these big roller coasters that are expected to make $100 million, unless it's Oz. And Oz is... Man. It's nothing anybody wants. It's nothing I want. Yeah. Like, I I like, not even kids liked it. It's no, just one of those things that everyone went to see. Who is it for? Like... I mean, I, some, some people would say, like, ah, it made me think of the Evil Dead. And I'm like, okay, well, I can go see the Evil Dead. Like, I want, I wish Raimi would just do something else. I mean, I will always have Armor of Darkness and the Evil Dead series. And all the other Sam Raimi movies I like, Spider-Man 1, 2, sure. one-fourth of part three, I guess. <laughs> I keep wanting to go back to it. And that's the Raimi thing. I just, I know there's stuff in there that The I Blu-ray like. box set that was recently released has a new edit of the movie that Bob Murawski did himself. It was not really advertised. Of three? Of three. I remember... They did the, the Spider-Man 2.5. 2. 2. Yeah. But yeah, 3 is like an edit that Bob Murawski... It's called the Editor's Cut. It's only on the box set that was released when the um, the Spider-Man Homecoming came out. Oh. So you should check it out if you have it on Blu-ray. I do not have that box, I don't think. It just came out of nowhere. And like the fact that Bob Murawski was actually involved in it, it doesn't fix the movie. <laughs> you, you can't fix the movie. No, no. But it does some really interesting stuff where you're like, oh, you should have done that instead. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Raimi is one of those guys who, as he gets more money, gets less interesting, and it's not mm -hmm. his fault. No, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's, it's his fault. he's more answerable, and he has to rein in his instincts. Well, it's that problem where, like, Spider-Man 1 and 2 are massive hits, and Spider-Man 2 is obviously Raimi doing whatever he wants, and then people get involved, it's too big a machine, yeah. and that people are like, well, I want this input, or I want that input. Why is the third film the most compromised out of all of them yeah. when the person has delivered two massive hits? Yeah, and you, we've, you know, you've heard the same excuses I have, that it was supposed to be a two-parter, that it was going to be three and four, and then this massive story was going to work, and it's just like, yeah, but that was never going to happen. No, and you like... totally tell. And Maybe and, now they could get away with something like that. I mean, obviously they can. Yeah, the Avengers movies, but not at that time. And Raimi does didn't like Venom. Like yeah. that's that's the big issue with Spider-Man Three, which is Raimi. He said very vocally like he didn't understand the character. 
he didn't know why people liked him. Yeah, no, he was being saddled with this thing mm-hmm. in his in the in the franchise he created, which is so frustrating. Like there would be no Spider-Man three if he hadn't made the first one. I know, and you have people like the producers coming in and being like, "Well, well, I think you should actually do this. Maybe the success of the movie was really all me yeah. and not you." When you look at the movies and you're like, "No, no, no, the success of these films is Sam Raimi hundred percent. Nobody else would have cast." Toby Maguire, who you look back at those movies, and he's the biggest weenie around <laughs> uh, yeah, as, like, much. the lead superhero. It, it, and I remember when it was coming out, like, it didn't seem that tonally dissonant, but I watch it now versus all the superhero yeah, films yeah, where sure. you're like, oh, they look like the superhero movie, uh, the way superheroes should look. And you look at Toby Maguire and you're like, ah, Sam Raimi, he just understood that, yeah. like, he wanted to have, like, the Weasley, Steve Ditko, uh, Peter Parker, yeah. who's, like, so whiny that you're like, oh, yeah, that's why he gets bullied. Yeah, <laughs> spindly and wet-eyed in a way exactly. that people aren't supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, the, the it's the same instinct that puts Bruce Campbell in his movies, where, mm-hmm. you know, that guy looks weird. Yes. I want him. Mm-hmm. And he'll do all this stuff that I want to do to him and yeah. like he'll just allow he'll me to do it, it. yeah <laughs> and he'll smile and you know his back may hurt now but um, yeah. <laughs> we but had fun while we did it forever yeah what I did to him I mean Bruce Campbell used to do a thing uh, I just read an interview yesterday where someone said that when he won the Fangoria Weekend of Horrors thing he would do the flip where he like grabs the back of his head and he flips, flips himself forward, forward. Oh and he used to do it all the time and one day he's like I can't do it anymore <laughs> like and I mean, it's great that uh, Bruce Campbell was able to do the uh, the TV series, which I mean, you know, compared to Army of Darkness, like the Ash versus the Evil Dead show, seemed for two seasons trying to figure out what it wanted to be. Yeah. Like, am I supposed to take it seriously? Am I not? Are we too beholden to the Evil Dead? Like, it can't be Deadites every episode because that's like boring. And like it did for two seasons, like I don't know. The third season, I think they just figured it out. Yeah, and it was canceled. I heard it got really good at the end. I haven't got there. Yeah, they got a new showrunner, um, and he just like he knows what people want. Like the thing about the Evil Dead movies as well is that when you watch them, you're like anything goes. A big head comes crashing through the wall in Evil Dead Two. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah fine. Yeah. Uh, skeleton hands pop up, little ashes. Like that's what's fun about them. And when you get too stuck on like ah, they're deadites, it's like that's not why we like it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's just figuring that out. What is the most fun? Just like you're telling your friend a story and you're just getting crazy. Like, this happens and then this happens, and that's what the most fun, especially Army of Darkness. That's what it feels like. Someone telling you a story and seeing how you're like kind of getting into it so they're going more and more yeah, over yeah. the top. You imagine the script to be all like bold and underlined and exclamation points and stuff like that. Yeah, no, Army of Darkness is the second wind. Yes. It's like when you, oh, this is what you want and you lean into it. I mean, it makes sense that like it was Sam Raimi and Ivan Raimi, his brother wrote it together because yeah. it's like two guys just like double daring themselves to go more and more over the top and they have this big machine behind them to do it. Yeah, and uh, it is, I mean, Ultimately, it is exactly the movie they wanted to make, yes. which I think is why it feels so personal and, and warm and nice and also so unsatisfying as horror. It's weird because like they have dismissed the theatrical cut. They only believe in the director's cut, right. which I'm like, ah, guys, you should watch the director's cut again because it's very kind of like baggy in a way that the movie shouldn't be. But uh, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. they, that's their baby. Mm-hmm. So now, of course, they're still like, what, 25 years later, they have to protect it. Yes, I guess. Yeah. Even though it's not looking so heavy, you know, it's it's walking with a limp. <laughs> there's, something, <laughs> there's something wrong with it. Yeah. They can't take a second look where they're like, oh, maybe they were right to amputate my child. <laughs> like, it's more aerodynamic. It could win those races. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, is where we are. 
it does you you've kind of addressed it, mm. but you know it does bring us to the the, the closer on the show, which mm-hmm. is always the same question, which is, you know, what is there anything of Army of Darkness specifically or the Evil Dead trilogy in general that you've borrowed, stolen, incorporated yeah. in camera um, stuff? A hundred percent, especially like a sense of humor. Um, I mean, the first movie that I made, like the lead was like a buffoon because it was my friend uh, Christian. And he's not an actor. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I'll be in a feature film for you. And he just like, I don't want to say I tortured him, but I tortured him like in the coal and splattering blood on his face and just doing all this kind of stuff. So not only did I take that kind of aesthetic of the Evil Dead, I also took like, well, look at me. Look at all the camera stuff that I'm doing. And um, this is Teddy Bob. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Teddy Bomb, which received a middling review in Now Magazine. <laughs> It's funny. I mean, I got what you were doing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there's this whole other thing where it was in the middle of a film festival. Yes. And it was, you know, it was the film that was the most, I mean, simultaneously the most obviously handmade, the yeah. most obviously personal, but also just didn't feel like a full movie in the same way. I mean, you post sync the whole thing and there yeah, was a yeah. sense of... Just the sense, there was a definite sense of people having fun and doing mm-hmm. things together, but I didn't feel my experience of it watching it on a like on a proper screen, mm-hmm. not this one, but yeah. the one I had before, uh, was that oh yeah, I get what they're doing and yeah. they're having fun, but I'm not in, I'm not participating in it. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not enjoying. I'm uh, not invited into the party. I could see that, but I like it was definitely I wanted people to be invited to the party. Yeah. It was always like something like Teddy bomb, which is definitely like Sam Raimi ish and crazy. I think the best description is someone recently uh, sent me a review, which said like, this is the film. Uh, this is like, as if Scott Pilgrim, the comic book character made a movie based on Scott Pilgrim, <laughs> which is like, so it's kind of like, scruffy and it's like energetic and it's just everything that I love up on screen and like I can like people going like okay well this wasn't made with a lot of money so why should I like be watching it I guess and that's like the weird like the thing where it's like I always argue with people about this which is like would you rather see something energetic and like everyone's dedicated and it costs nothing, and you, you can see it costs nothing. Or would you rather have something like middling and slick? Yeah. And it's usually middling and slick. People do settle for middling and slick. My thing is that if you're going to make a movie with nothing, mm-hmm. the ideas behind it have to be strong enough to yeah, compensate. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Teddy Bomb is a very simple comic premise, mm-hmm. and it's not a bad one, mm-hmm. but it's just like there's really nowhere to go. Well, but repeat the same variation on the. On yeah. The I mean, over the, again. the one thing I tell people about Teddy Bomb is that, like, if. Is watch it again. It's really about like not not standing up for yourself, but like the idea that like no one can do things for you except for yourself, and that's what the movie's about. Like that's the idea that I approached right. it with. And I mean, like if you didn't get it or other people, like obviously that wasn't communicated well enough. But it's interesting that now when people watch it, they're like, oh, I guess that was the idea of the movie because it's more like conscious. The, in the world right now. Right. So but, that's, yeah, that's it too. Mm. Like the cultural moment has to be there. Yeah. Of, of that idea of like, what does it mean to like be like a white guy? Like, can you be heroic and it's wish fulfillment? Like that's not what the movie is. It's actually like against that. But at the same time, the issue with something like Teddy bomb is something that my friend Will Sloan once said, which we were watching a movie and I was like, Oh, there's this great scene where a head exploded. And he's like, yeah, I can see gore anywhere. <laughs> like it depends on like where, like, what you want and how you're feeling, like, 
that like in your face stuff sometimes you just don't want it like i go through years where i'm like i don't want to watch movies like teddy bomb like it's fine but sorry getting back to no no it's all part of it uh teddy bomb yeah that was definitely like evil dead because it was like or edgar wright or stuff like that which is like look at me like i'm just doing all this crazy stuff and i mean after that i kind of wanted to take a step back and be like well i don't want to like always have to do this like i was really hurt when um i I remember i was in college and somebody else told me they were in a group and they're like let's not do it like justin the clue does and i was like oh and i like i i mean that's not technically hurt hurtful like that's your justin unless i'm just well I, i mean like just that style, I guess they don't like it, and it's just coming to terms with like, well, that's what I that's what I like, and that's what because I want to share with the audience, so I either accept that or I don't, and I, that's I feel like that's the same thing that like Sam Raimi struggled with his entire career, which is like I want to do this thing, but like people can just write like, oh, I know what Sam Raimi is, and then you're like, oh no, like a uh, simple plan, look, yeah, 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 and I mean Impossible Horror, which is my new feature film. I went in consciously being like, well, I don't want to do like Teddy Bomb. Like, I want it to be completely different. And I succeed for like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then what? You just fall back into I, it. Yeah, I fall back into it. Because I reached a point where I was making this movie and I went like, why, like, what am I enjoying? Like, why am I making this movie? Am I just trying to prove that I can do something different? Or do I want to do the things that I like and I hope the audience will like as well? And considering the movie is technically kind of about that, it's interesting to watch the movie and see that style evolve as it goes on, where it's like very slow with sliders and then suddenly gets handheld and like crazy like Sam Raimi would do it. That's what I want. Yeah, I know. That's I want you to enjoy yourself. I want you to do the thing you want. I know. To do. And I want people to enjoy themselves as well. Um, I don't want them to be like, ah. Because again, like Impossible Horror is a movie that was made with, it was made for $7,000, like all, all in the money we raised in our Kickstarter. Uh-huh. And like you look at the movie and you're like, I believe it was made for $30,000, <laughs> but not much more than that. So like, I, 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 that's a lesson that I learned like as I make shorts and I do stuff, which is, you know, I should just follow what I'm passionate about. We should tell people where they can find it. So mm-hmm. it's actually screening at the Royal. Yeah, it's screening at the Royal Cinema in Toronto on October 23rd at 7.30. That is also serving as like a Blu-ray release party. So you can get it on Blu-ray. And because I'm a movie fan, it has like a ridiculous amount of commentary tracks. It has a really fun making of that my partner Emily Milling cut together, deleted scenes, all that jazz. And uh, if you come to the screening, I, like I did with Teddy Bomb, I call them uh, South Korean special editions, because I don't know if you remember uh, in the early 2000s when DVD was starting, they would be these ridiculous special editions from South Korea. I think I still have the Dogville one, yeah. Yeah, and they come in boxes and stuff like that. So I'll be making boxes, <laughs> and that'll be selling at the screening of Impossible Horror. And I think, unless... I may have a few that I'll sell at other screenings uh, I do, but like you can only get it there. Like I won't sell on the internet or anything like that. But if you're listening to this and you don't live in Toronto, you'll be able to. You can pre-order it on the internet now, and it's twenty bucks for the Blu-ray. Then you'll get a poster and a code to listen to Emily Milling's uh, score, which is really good, uh, better than uh, the movie. And uh, so you should definitely check those things out. Cool. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go do that right. <laughs> uh, Seriously. Yeah. Or I'll good. buy it at the night. I'll be there. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, well, I very much appreciate that. And hopefully you won't feel like uh, you're outside of the party. We'll be like, Norm, Norm, come, come in. <laughs> yes. No, that's what I want. I want the, I want the VIP experience. <laughs> yeah. if I'm, I mean, if I'm coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You expect the VIP yeah. experience. The long walk from, mm-hmm. from here to the Royal. Yeah. Block and a half. <laughs> My thanks to Justin DeClue, whose new film, Impossible Horror, comes to Blu-ray next Tuesday, October 23rd. You should really try to go to that screening at the Royal, but if you can't, the disc is available for pre-order right now at impossiblehorror.com. You can find Justin on Twitter at DeCluj, D-E-C-L-O-U-X-J, all one word, and you should subscribe to The Important Cinema Club, No Such Thing as a Bad Movie, and Loose Cannons wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Yes, I know Loose Cannons isn't releasing new episodes just now, but I live in hope that we someday get that episode about Life Force, because, come on. You can find Army of Darkness on Blu-ray and DVD in a dozen different editions from Anchor Bay and Universal Studios Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.